we use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same, even though most don't orgasm from intercourse. We use the word foreplay as if it's just a lead up before play to the main event. And really strikingly, we call our entire genitals a vagina. And by doing so, the vagina is where the penis goes in and babies go out. The vulva is where the clitoris is. So we're like linguistically erasing the part of ourselves that give us the most pleasure. And instead, we're calling our entire genitals by the part that is more facilitative of male orgasms than our own orgasm. Welcome y bienvenidos to About Consent, the podcast that sparks conversations about creating consent culture, boundary repair, sexual empowerment, orgasm equality, and raising a new sexually conscious and consent-empowered generation. This is a safe, shame-free, judgment-free zone where both survivors and those who support survivors are welcome. I'm your host, Rosalia Rivera. This week's rating and review comes from Nightmare. <laughs> I love the original name there that you got. Nightmare says, an empowering must listen. So good. There's no other podcast like this one. Rosalia is bringing so much awareness to consent culture and her podcast approaches the topic in a way that is extremely relatable and insightful. And thank you for the five-star rating. Nightmare, I couldn't agree with you more about creating consent culture. That is my goal with this podcast, and I wanted it to be very approachable and relatable, and I'm certainly happy to hear that you are finding it to be all of that and more. So thank you so much for your rating and your review. Friends, keep them coming. I love shouting you out each week and thanking you for taking the time. Your time is precious, and I truly appreciate that you post this. Every time that you post a review on iTunes, it gives the platform the message that this podcast is important, and it bumps it up so that other people can find it. So continue to post your reviews and your ratings. I truly appreciate it, and you may be the next one who will be spotlighted in the podcast. Now let's get started and dive into our episode. In 2019, I purchased a book called Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. For the last 14 years, I have learned through my own relationship what orgasm equality really means. And I became quite passionate about helping other women also find it. And when I saw this book, Cliteracy in particular has been a topic for the last two years that has become really fascinating to me and something that I didn't learn about until very recently uh, about this specific concept of cliteracy and, and focus on the clitoris and all of the aspects of orgasm equality. And so when I picked up this book, it continued to inform me And I loved the way that the author was light. There was a lot of levity in the book. It wasn't such a heavy, serious, you know, sort of manifesto, although it is. But it also spoke to all of the aspects of 
feminism that I feel sometimes get lost because we talk about feminism in all of these political ways, which is important and fantastic. But a lot of times the aspect of orgasm equality is lost. And I think it's just as important as all the others. So I became fascinated by the author of the book. And as I dove into her work, I realized I need to bring her on the show. So I invited Dr. Lori Mintz to the podcast. And when she said yes, I did a little happy dance because I was excited to be able to pick her brain and be able to bring that information to you, which I know is going to empower you. I loved the interview, and I know you're going to get so much from it. So just to quickly introduce who she is, because I, that could take a whole episode to just talk about all of the work that she's doing. I just want to quickly introduce you to her, and then we'll dive in. Dr. Lori Mintz is a feminist author, therapist, professor, and speaker whose life work has been committed to helping people live more authentic, meaningful, and joyful lives through the art and science of psychology. As a tenured professor at the University of Florida, she teaches the psychology of human sexuality to hundreds of undergraduate students each year. She also teaches and mentors graduate students in both their clinical and research training, helping them to find their own niche as psychologists. Dr. Mintz has published over 50 research articles in academic journals and six chapters in academic books. She's received numerous professional and teaching awards. She's a fellow of the American Psychological Association, indicating that her work has had a positive national influence in the field of psychology. She is also the author of two popular press books, both written with the aim of empowering women sexually. The first, which I mentioned before, Becoming Cliterate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It, and A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, Reclaim Your Desire and Reignite Your Relationships. With the same goal of providing scientifically accurate sex-positive information to enhance female pleasure, Dr. Mintz also writes a popular Psychology Today blog. She also gives presentations and workshops to professionals and lay audiences and is often quoted in national and international media. For over 25 years, Dr. Mintz has also maintained a small private practice working with both individuals and couples on general and sexual issues. One of her greatest honors is supporting her clients through difficult times, as well as helping them make positive changes and reach life goals. So I'm really thrilled and excited to have her on the show. So let's dive in and listen to Dr. Lori Mintz talk about becoming cliterate. Okay, so this is such an exciting conversation for me. I'm looking forward to diving into questions with you, Dr. Lori, and I'm so thrilled that you're here. Welcome to the About Consent podcast. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm so excited to pick your brain today because I've had the pleasure of reading your book, Becoming Cliterate. It was eye-opening in so many ways. And then I started diving into all of your content, watching your YouTube videos, your TED Talks, your presentations. And I'm so on board with everything that you're talking about. So 
For those who are not familiar with your work, can you talk a little bit about what your book is about? And then we'll dive into some of the questions. Absolutely. So my book is a combination of cultural analysis and self-help designed to close the orgasm gap between heterosexual men and women, both culturally and in individual bedrooms. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And so first, I'd like to ask you to define, for those that don't know, what is the orgasm gap and why do you feel it's important to close it? Absolutely. So the orgasm gap is the really consistent finding in research that when men and women have a sexual encounter, the men are having way more orgasms than the women are. And while this occurs in all types of sex, it's particularly pronounced in casual sex. It gets smaller in like friends with benefits, but it gets even smaller in relationship sexual encounters, but it never closes altogether. It's just one example, and I could go on and on with the stats, but in a study of over 17,000 college students, 39% of the women, as compared to 91% of the men, said that they had had an orgasm at their last sexual encounter. Wow. Wow. That's, wow. (laughs) That's an incredible fact. So I'd love to know a little bit more about what got you to write this book. And I I mean, I kind of know, but for uh, those listening, What is it that inspired you to write Becoming Cliterate? Yeah, so it was really my students, their experiences, their successes, their failures. So just to explain, I teach the psychology of human sexuality to over 150 students a year at the University of Florida. And it was through teaching that class that I really became aware of the orgasm gap, not just the research, but talking to my students, their stories of the orgasm gap. And so honestly, I started kind of teaching to that, why it exists, what we can do to close it. And I would get comments and notes from students like, thanks to this class, I'm orgasmic. Or thanks to this class, my girlfriend is orgasmic. And I thought, I have to get this information out there way beyond, you know, these 150 students at the University of Florida. And that's why I wrote my book. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting point that you're getting this information from youth, because I think youth have a misconception that people who are not experiencing what they tend to think of like hot and heavy or really hot sex, they think it's like older people who are in relationships for a long time and like, oh, it's gotten boring or something. But it's actually across the board, like it's not defined by age. It's really defined by their misunderstanding of, well, maybe misrepresentation of what they see sex in media to be and those kinds of things. Is that accurate? Yeah, that is accurate. While, you know, I mostly have done my own research on the orgasm gap and talking to my college students. I have talked to many, many older women who are experiencing the same thing based on false media images. There is research that as women age, they become more sexually satisfied. And part of that is they get more comfortable with their own body and asking for what they want. 
Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that the orgasm gap, I mean, I I gave a workshop at one point and a 60-year-old woman said to me, wow, I've been faking orgasms for 30 years. What do I do? So this gap affects women of all ages. Mm-hmm. Yeah. that, And I think that's such an important point to make because, again, I see this all the time where young women think that it's the norm, like what they're experiencing is the norm and not having an orgasm is is okay because that's what they've perceived. Now, I mean, you dive into all of this in the book and I think it's fantastic. But for those who, because the title of your book is Becoming Clitorate. What is becoming clitorate? Like, what does that actually mean? Right. So the bottom line is there's a lot of reasons for the orgasm gap. But the main reason, the main cultural reason is our cultural ignorance of the clitoris, which the vast majority of women need clitoral stimulation to orgasm. And these images you see of wild penetration-based orgasms without clitoral stimulation in mainstream movies and porn are false. So becoming clitorate is a pun on becoming literate, but Mm -hmm. literate about the clitoris and about women's most reliable route to orgasm. Right. Yeah. And it's still so, there's still so little that is known about it. I mean, it seems like it's just in the last, maybe even 10 years that it's actually become a more mainstream name or term to use. And it's the actual clinical name of that body part. But even still, it's not as mainstream as it really should be. You know, people know what the penis is, but when they you say the clitoris, it's like they kind of know what it is or they know where it is, but aren't sure that it's actually something that they can use during sex to derive pleasure from. And I've heard, here's an interesting question to, that I wanted to ask you also is, I've heard that the sole purpose of the clitoris is pleasure, and which is a very interesting function of a body part to just be, you know, just for pleasure. But I've heard on the other, uh, a different argument that says it's actually, yes, for pleasure, but specifically to help produce lubrication to facilitate sex. So is that also part of its function or is it, or is that just sort of a byproduct? Well, actually is not the clitoris that produces lubrication. There's so much misunderstanding about female genital anatomy, but the, let, let me address the pleasure aspect first. Way back in, you know, years and years ago, um, it was Masters and Johnson who said the clitoris is a unique organ in all of human anatomy, male or female. It is the only organ that exists just for pleasure. And the clitoris has erectile tissue. It's a large internal and external organ. And it has erectile tissue. It comes from the same embryonic tissue as the penis. And so when aroused, it it has an erection, Mm -hmm. basically, that, you know, throughout women's genitals. Lubrication, on the other hand, comes from the vaginal walls. And it's part of excitement and the sexual response cycle, but it isn't the clitoris that's creating the lubrication. Right. Okay. But in terms of, I guess, what I've heard is that 
the stimulation that is produced by the clitoris, the byproduct of that is the lubrication within the vaginal walls. And that, and, and I guess they were trying to tie it to, almost in a utilitarian way to what the function of the clitoris really was. And it was ultimately to facilitate penetrative sex, which I found to be an interesting argument because then it brings it again back to this idea that sex is really just meant for it to be about penetration. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Now I totally follow you. So, right. If you stimulate a woman's clitoris, she's going to get really excited. And part of excitement is lubrication. And vaginal lubrication is helpful, right? Mm -hmm. For penetrating without it, it hurts, you know. But I really agree with you. That argument that that's why the clitoris exists, so that men can penetrate us, I mean, it goes right back to my argument about why we have the orgasm gap, which is because we overvalue penetration or privilege the way men reach orgasm rather than women and assume that women should orgasm the same way as men as penetration. And even our language reflects this, you know, and this is one of my favorite topics, but I'll be brief, but we use the word sex and intercourse as if they're one and the same, mm-hmm. even though most don't orgasm from intercourse. We use the word foreplay as if it's just a lead up before play to the main event. And really strikingly, we call our entire genitals a vagina. And by doing so, the vagina is where the penis goes in and babies go out. The vulva is where the clitoris is. So we're like linguistically erasing the part of ourselves that give us the most pleasure. And instead, we're calling our entire genitals by the part that is more facilitative of male orgasms than our own orgasm. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think that's one of the one of the things that I felt really empowered by in your book is how you really emphasize that we are always giving more priority to the male orgasm really by the way that we talk about sex and talk about, you know, like you just said, the female anatomy in a sense. And when we do that, this again is, I think what is showcased in media, what's showcased in even not just mainstream pornography, but all kinds. I mean, I think that when you look at the way that it's portrayed in any kind of media, there is you know, it goes straight from kissing and maybe the guy feeling the girl up and then all of a sudden they're in missionary position where they're having sex and there is no regard for pleasuring the woman, you know, or if they even do show any kind of oral sex, it's always the woman giving the man oral sex. So I think it's so important that women realize, and I think you your argument in the book is so beautifully put together that we need to really reclaim that and take back that sexual power that we have. And by doing that, what are some of the ways that you talk about that you've even maybe have stories at this point, people that read your book and they contact you and say, you know, this really changed my sexual life in such positive ways. How are women really utilizing the information? Like what are some of the ways that they are reclaiming that sexuality? Yes. I've been so touched and so honored by the number of women who have contacted me 
And I do have a lot of stories. And men have contacted me as well, saying I didn't never knew this. And I feel so much like I'm, I really understand my partner. But I have had women contact me and say, the book changed my life. It made me feel more confident. It made me realize there wasn't something wrong with me because I wasn't orgasming during intercourse. And that has ranged from young women to older women. And one of my favorite stories is a woman contacted me and said that on her Tinder profile, she wrote, I'm into closing the orgasm gap. Mm. That like it opened up a conversation even with casual partners about what that was and what she needed and that her pleasure needed to be considered equally important as any partner's pleasure. Mm -hmm. The reality is that a lot of women, you know, as young girls, they grow up not being able to talk about sex at home. Uh, so they are getting their information about sexuality from a lot of misinformation, you know, through a lot of misinformation. And besides that, I think there's also a lot of shame built in. Some of it is cultural. Some of it is religious around women being able to own their sexuality or even things like self-pleasure, masturbation, being able to express themselves. I think this even ties back a little bit to the Madonna whore complex. Women don't want to be seen as overtly sexual. And so therefore expressing their sexuality or expressing their wants or needs would be looked or frowned upon maybe. Either they would be maybe categorized into names that I don't even like to say because I don't want to perpetuate those names. But what do you, I mean, you talk about the importance of things like self-pleasure and masturbation and getting to know your body and what you like and don't like so that then you can talk about that with a partner and express what it is that you want to try or not try. When it comes to trauma, someone who has trauma history, because the, my audience, a lot of them are survivors. And you talk about even in the book, taking the time to go through some of these areas slowly if needed, but to definitely still do it. Can you talk about a little bit about that and why this is so important to sexual reclamation? Absolutely. I'm so glad you asked that question. You know, letting go of sexual shame and recovering from sexual trauma is a really long and involved process, as you know, but it is, it is doable. And so while I give instructions in the book for pleasuring yourself, finding out what brings you pleasure and orgasm, and then transferring that to sex with a partner saying, that the most essential step to orgasm is to get the same type of stimulation with a partner as you get alone. Well, that's difficult for most women to do and make that leap. It's particularly difficult for survivors. And I talk about like if you're pleasuring yourself and you get triggered, or even with later on with partner sex, to stop and slow down and give yourself permission to take time out. And also to figure out what types of touch may or may not be triggering for you. And also that part of this is kind of putting in a different box what happened to you when you were the victim of um, sexual trauma, that that is not sex. Mm -hmm. That was violence. That was 
you know, horrible. And that what you need to do is through your own pleasuring of yourself, slowly, slowly, slowly reclaim sexual pleasure. Give sex a new meaning, one that is uh, affiliated with you being in charge and your pleasure only. And, you know, I refer readers to other great books on the topic. I don't delve into this a lot, but there's a great book by Wendy Maltz called Healing the, I forget what it's called. I'll have to look it up. But Wendy Maltz, if you look it up, and it's just about reclaiming sexuality after sexual trauma. So my book and that book can also go quite hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I, I love that you mentioned that because a lot of times when you talk to someone who is promoting how amazing sexual reclamation is, it's typically not, no one always mentions that there, for someone who has experienced trauma, that these are some other options or alternatives or ways to go about it. And I found that the fact that you mentioned it in there was inclusive and reminded anyone who does does have trauma that it's still possible for them. And I think that is such an important message that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You can still reclaim your sexuality and be able to enjoy this part that is so, such an integral part of our humanity. So thank you for, for taking that time. Yeah. Of course, I felt like there was no way I could write a book on women's sexuality without acknowledging that so many of us are survivors of trauma and that the journey needs to be individually tailored and gentle and slow and at your own pace. But it is completely, I've worked with many, many women individual in my therapy practice. I've talked to women who've read my book and that it's helpful and who have reclaimed sexuality through sexual trauma. This episode is brought to you by Consent Parenting, my online platform for survivor parents to learn how to keep their kids safe from abuse. Did you know that children of survivors have a five times higher chance of being abused because survivor parents don't know or learn the tools to prevent abuse? They tend to overprotect instead of empowering and preparing. You can change the statistics by becoming an educated parent. Enroll in my Child Predator Protection Masterclass to learn the three things you can do to protect your kids from predatory online and offline grooming so that your kids are not targeted and you can prevent abuse. This is for parents with kids ages 2 to 18. Use code PODCAST to get 50% off this class by signing up when you go to aboutconsent.com forward slash protect. Link is in the show notes. Now let's get back to the show. Mm-hmm. Yes. Thank you for that. Again, it's actually more important than you may even realize, but it's part of the healing process to be able to reclaim such an important area of our lives. So, so thank you again for that. Now, I wanted to switch gears a little bit and ask you, because you're a university professor, what do you see is the biggest issue for girls in not coming into their own sexuality in relation to self-pleasure and then with a partner? Like, is it lack of education, miseducation, media misinformation, or maybe all of the above? All of the above (laughs) and plus some, Mm -hmm. you know. We have these, you know, we already talked about these false media images 
porn images of women having these fast and fabulous orgasms from penetration alone with no warm up. Mm-hmm. And you know those images are false. It's sort of like Superman drive Superman or woman being able to jump off a building. It's fake. It's acting. But we know that, right? When we watch Superman, hopefully, or Superwoman. But when we watch these images, because we don't have sex ed that teaches us the difference, we think they're real. So it's these media images coupled with lack of good sex ed. It's also just general, you know, uh, socialization of women to put more emphasis on pleasing others than in pleasing themselves. And that goes in, that's in life and in sexuality. Mm-hmm. The slut shaming that you referred to earlier, it's very hard to enjoy something. You're fearful of what you'll be called for doing it. And then on the flip side, young women also have pressure to, it's like this dual pressure, like, well, don't do it too fast because you'll be, quote, a slut. And at the same time, like, don't wait too long or, you know, you'll be a prude. It's just like all these messages are so insidious, confusing, harmful for young women. Mm -hmm. Yes, absolutely. And it's hard to say what is the alternative other than getting access to the right information, which can be really hard to come by when youth don't have the accessibility to good education, you know, and, and that's the unfortunate thing. They have so much access to all the wrong information and not enough access to the right information. So that's something that I am really happy about the fact that, you know, there's people like you in the space that are helping to put the right information out there. What is your current take on the current landscape of pornography then, since we're talking about, you know, that kind of media as being what most youth are seeing, you know, currently as the, what what they can mimic Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I am pornography is here to stay. Yeah. Um, and I so and I'm not anti pornography. I mean, I'm anti violent pornography, pornography that degrades women. Mm-hmm. There's some great feminist porn out there coming out. So I think that and sometimes I even recommend erotica to my clients who are having trouble getting aroused. I mean, women are very visually aroused. So I'm not anti-pornography. I And the research is very confusing about, uh, is it harmful? Is it helpful? The research shows some positive and negative effects of pornography. But what's really clear that's not confusing is one of the most harmful effects is when people use it as sex ed. Mm-hmm. So Since pornography is here to stay, I think we need to be teaching our youth porn literacy, an aspect of media literacy, like that this is fake and what's fake and that these are people that are acting. And here's the truth. Like pornography would be less harmful, I believe, if it was mitigated by porn literacy and sex education. Absolutely. And I just want to, I wanted to do an applause there (laughs) for a second, because (laughs) I absolutely agree. And I'm glad that you pointed that out, because I think a lot of people do want to vilify pornography. And I mean, even if, let's say, you know, 99% of it was violent and negative, 
it's a lot like drugs. It's like it's not going to just go away in when we even when we look at drugs, it's like, well, why are people doing drugs? How about we look at the actual source? So even with you know, something like pornography, I think it's important to, like you said, educate our children on porn literacy as well as media literacy. And I'm very much a proponent of educating kids on media literacy because then you're deconstructing music, films, the internet, all of it, so that kids can be critical thinkers about it. And in the same vein, do the same thing with pornography or any kind of sexual imagery that they're being confronted with. Because I mean, there's sexual literacy includes what are they seeing in the media in advertisement that is very sexualized? And what does that mean? And how are they tying it together and breaking all of that down? So I absolutely agree. And I'm so glad that you brought that point up because you're right. Pornography is here to stay. And for, I think, parents to, in a sense, be naive about if I don't talk about it, it'll go away or my kids won't look at it, you know, or hopefully I scare them enough that they don't look at it. It's just really putting your head in the sand and hoping it just goes away. So I think that that's really important point to make. And you're right, there are some alternatives out there that are healthier. In terms of healthier, by the way, I don't mean to say what is, you know, like a trend in a sense, but in terms of, like you said, not that it's violent, where there is consensual uh, communication happening, where it is more representative of not hyper-sexualized sort of unrealistic sex. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ones that you recommend or that you could say are alternatives that are better for people to, if they are interested in looking at some kind of pornography, what would you recommend? I would recommend that they actually put the term feminist porn or feminist erotica into Google. And there will be so many choices that come up. And in fact, there is even in San Francisco a feminist porn award. So you can even search that. And anything that is labeled that way, I think is great. There was a woman, and unfortunately, she passed away recently. Her name was Candida Royal. And she was the person that I believe we can credit with feminist porn. She'd been a porn star, traditional porn, and she was like, this isn't working. It's too objectifying. And she created a whole line of feminist erotica and many other women have followed her. Hmm. Perfect. Yeah. And I I think that that's an important thing for people to note. Uh, You know, I think that there's even a lot of shame for people who have watched pornography and they, it just creates all kinds of shames. And again, it will probably have given you the wrong perspective of how a woman would find pleasure in a sexual encounter interaction. So I think that even if you're looking for some other kind of alternative, then this is definitely a way to go. So now, what about you? What is next for you? I mean, you, your book came out. I know that you've done a TED Talk. Are you planning on doing some more speaking or another book in the works? What is next for you? Both. <laughs> you oh, great. You've labeled exactly where I'm heading. I absolutely love giving talks. Um, I love interacting with audiences around this topic not only giving them information, but making it lighthearted, you know, having like, I hope that you found my book, not only 
interesting, but kind of humorous. I think we're so uncomfortable talking about sex that if we can laugh about it, sometimes it helps. So I love giving speeches and I've been giving more and more of those and would like to continue. And I do have another book idea that's really an outgrowth of this that I'm thinking about now, working on now, but I think I want to keep the topic to myself for now. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) For sure. Well, and I do appreciate the levity in your book. You're right. I loved a lot of the puns that you had in there. It was It did break it up and it can be a really heavy topic. You're right. So I think that it's great that you you add that in. And I've seen that in your talks as well. So so congratulations on this new birth of another book and all of the new speaking. I'm very much looking forward to it. I love following you as well. So let me know. I would love to know how people can find your books, anything else that you're going to be up to that you're doing, your social media website, where can people find you? Yeah, thank you for your esteem, because I really appreciate talking to you and your work as well. So people can find me on my website, which is www.drlauriminsk.com. So D-R-L-A-U-R-I-E-M-I-N-T-Z. And that has links to all my social media and to my TED Talk, but all of my social media, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and Pinterest, I'm I'm on the same handle, Dr. Lori Mintz. And I would love, I love interacting with people on social media as well. Perfect. Well, that makes it easy to find you if it's the same handle across the board. I wasn't able to do that with mine because it was, some of them were taken. So, but it's so, Aww. it's nice to, to be able to say, yep, find me at uh, Dr. Lori Mintz. So that's perfect. And I will add, of course, all of those links in the show notes for everyone. Now, at the end of each episode, I ask guests to offer one advice on one of the main topics that I discuss here. So either consent, boundaries, or sexual empowerment. So which of those would you like to give some advice on for our audience? Well, I would like to give advice on sexual empowerment, and I'd also like to tie it a little bit to consent, which is something I've been thinking a lot about lately. And so one is more of a statement, and the other is advice. So I believe strongly that if we don't empower women to expect sexual pleasure, they are more likely to tolerate sexual pain, which many, many women experience without saying anything. And they're less likely to recognize coercive situations because they've been taught sex isn't for them Mm. and they're not supposed to be having fun. So with that in mind, what I want to say is your pleasure, your orgasm is important. It is equally as important as any person with a penis, any male who you are getting it on with and that sex is fun, and it's pleasurable, and it is for you. Go into your sexual encounters expecting that your pleasure will be taken care of. I love that. I love that. And I completely agree. Again, I just want to sit here and clap (laughs) like I'm in in the audience. (laughs) Yeah, so much yes to that. So thank you for that. I love it. And uh, yeah, it's it's so true. Like if you believe that it's not for you, you're more willing to have coercive experiences without even realizing them. So I think that that's a really important 
thing that you mentioned there. So thank you for that. Yeah, and that is well, Doctor. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry, I go ahead. Underscore that is not to blame women. I don't blame women for the orgasm gap. I blame or and I don't blame you know men even for the orgasm gap. Although I, I do blame them for sexual assault and coercion on those who are doing that terrible, awful thing that we, I don't even want to, I mean, it's such another topic, but I blame culture. So mm-hmm. I just want to be very clear that culture is the culprit in the orgasm gap, and we all benefit when it is closed. Exactly. Yeah. And it takes education and people like you who are putting that out there to help others become aware. And that awareness and education, I think, are key. So to changing culture, right? And that's what we're doing here. So thank you so much for being here, for coming on the show and sharing your knowledge. I like can't say enough about you. I'm so happy that you put this book out. It's helping so many women in the world. So thank you again. And for everyone listening, if you have any questions, please reach out to Dr. Lori Mintz, again, through her social handles, through her website check out her book. I, again, will post the link here so that you can connect with her and purchase the book, read it for yourself and become empowered. So, so I'm really excited that you are here. Thank you so much for your time and for all of your knowledge coming on the show. For everyone who is listening and is interested in purchasing the book, I'll have all of those links in the show notes. Be sure that you dive into this and empower yourself sexually. It's an amazing book, so much information that will help you really take this part to reclaim your sexuality and become a sexually empowered woman. So thank you again, Dr. Lori, for being here. It was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. And for everyone listening, be sure to tag us on Instagram stories, screenshot this episode and tag both of us. Let us know that you listened, what your takeaways were. We'd love to hear from you. So be sure to do that. If you are on Instagram, let us know. See you in the next episode. Don't miss the next episode. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And I would be so grateful if you took one minute to post a five-star rating and reviews on iTunes so that others can also find this information. I will be shouting you out and thanking you on the next episode. If you found this useful, be sure to share it with others as well. Let's continue to create consent culture, one conversation at a time. Stay empowered.